Bibles, if you would please, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're taking just a little bit of a break here because it's Mother's Day from our normal study in 1 Corinthians. And I'd like to speak to you today from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And it's really great to have so many mothers with us today. Uh, We appreciate you being here. Mother's Day is always one of our best Sundays of the year. And uh, I think it's fitting that we do set aside a special time that we honor mothers and then also that we have a sermon that goes along with Mother's Day. In June, Father's Day will be here. And uh, usually Father's Day doesn't bring out the same kind of response in the church as Mother's Day does. And so we fathers, we just have to resign ourselves to the fact that we can't compete with mom. But we're glad that your mothers are here. Uh, I've chosen this particular text today because I think that this is a, is a scripture that really speaks to the value of a good mother. And I'm not talking just about a mother who is uh, faithful to her family, not one who just loves and cares for her children, but also a mother who believes that the very most important thing that she can do, the most important thing that she can do as a mother, is to plant a seed of faith in her children and water that seed until it comes to the full fruition of that child's belief in the Lord Jesus. Here in this particular passage of Scripture, we're reading from 2 Timothy. This is one of Paul's letters to Timothy while he was in prison. Uh, We'll find, if you read the, the rest of the book and get towards the end of the book, you'll find out that this was just before Paul was ready to give his life. He was about to be executed in prison And he looks back over his life and he thinks about a young man by the name of Timothy. And the thing that comes to his mind, especially about Timothy, is the faith that was in him. And he's going to tell us today where that faith came from. Now, if you'll look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, stand with me please as we read God's word. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and then thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today and we think about mothers, I ask you, Lord, that you might bless each mother who's here today. Help us to learn something from your word. May every person, in fact, receive something from this message that they can use, and we give you the honor and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. If you'd look again, please, at verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, greatly desiring to see thee, of course he's writing to Timothy, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Most commentators agree that Timothy was not saved as a young child. Some of them don't even agree whether he was actually saved under the ministry of Paul. 
But what they do agree upon is that the faith that developed in Timothy was something that was planted there as a seed, first coming from his grandmother and then from his mother. And these are two ladies that I think we can see from the Scripture that were very uh, godly in their faith. They lived their faith. We don't know exactly when they became Christians. Uh, Many people believe, and this is probably right, that they were won to the Lord by Paul when he was on his second missionary journey. So we don't know maybe the exact time. But one thing that we do know about this is that when these two ladies got saved, the grandmother and the mother of Timothy, when they received Christ as the Savior, they did not become secret disciples. These are two ladies that lived their faith, and the greatest desire I believe they had in their heart was that this young man by the name of Timothy that he would also come to know Jesus as Savior. So these are two ladies that I think that we can say were known for their reputation as Christians. Now let's talk about that first today, the reputation of a good mother. What is it that that really a mother should be known for? I think that probably every mother wants to be known for the way that she raises her children. She wants her children to be a good reflection on her. And, of course, when we talk about a mother, we're we're not just talking about a woman. I mean, a mother is a a woman who has children. So the thing that concerns her most is children. And so when other people look at the behavior of her children, she wants them to to think, well, this is a well-behaved child. This is a child that reflects well upon my motherhood, upon my skills. And so she always wants that child to be that reflection of her and, and the good job that she's done of raising the child. You know, when, whenever a child misbehaves, the, the first person or people that we always look to is the parents. When, when uh, I'm out at the mall or at the grocery store or someplace like that and you see a little child that throws a temper tantrum, what's the first thing that you think? I always think, what's wrong with that mother? Why didn't she do something with that child? But it's interesting when Paul thinks about Timothy that certainly he was not thinking what's wrong with Timothy's mother because Timothy was a man of faith. And as Paul thinks about this, he recalls, he goes back and he remembers what is it that brought Timothy into that faith? I mean, what was it that actually led him to become a child of God? And so as he writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, you are a man of faith because that was instilled from you when you were very young, and that was taught to you by your mother. And so even though that Timothy wasn't a saved child, yet when he became older, that faith, that seed of faith that was planted in him, that grew, and God blessed that, and so he became a child of God. And so his mother and his grandmother had a great reputation for their faith. Let me, let me speak about that for a few minutes. What should a mother really be known for? Well, I think that she ought to be known for her sound faith. Now, you have your Bible open to 2 Timothy. Would you, would you just look over there a few pages into the third chapter and in verse number 14? And remember, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and so when he says you, or when he says thou, as we have it in the King James Version, he's speaking to Timothy. And in verse 14, Paul says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." And so from the time that a child, he was a child, Timothy was taught the Scriptures. Well, how would you ever do that 
unless you actually know the Scriptures. I mean, how would a parent ever teach a child the Holy Scriptures? How would he ever show that child that the very thing in the Word of God that makes him wise unto salvation unless that parent is a person of faith? How is it that any person or, or, or any child ever comes to faith in Christ unless someone just opens up the Scriptures to them? I mean, doesn't the Bible itself say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? And there are many Christians today, I'm afraid, many parents, uh, Christian parents that are sorrowful because their children aren't saved. And many times the reason is because they never took time to be a person of faith. They never opened up the Scriptures and just began to read and teach their children what's in the Word of God. Well, that wasn't a problem for Timothy's mom because she did exactly that. Mom did it, and so did Grandma. You know what so many parents are willing to do today? Uh, they'll take down Dr. Seuss off of, the, off of the bookshelf, and they'll take down Mother Goose and all the nursery rhymes, and, and they'll begin to read those kinds of things to their children. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. But what about the time spent opening the Bible? And many parents will read their children all these other things, but they never take down the Bible and begin to read to them what God's Word says. Now, uh, if the Bible is the only thing that can make a child wise unto salvation, and as the Scripture says, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, then is it any wonder that many children don't trust Christ at a much earlier age because their parents haven't taken time to read them Scripture? So if you're going to be a godly parent, a godly mother, be a mother that's known for your sound faith. I think that you ought to prize the Bible above all other material that you have in your house. Any other reading material, the Bible ought to be the very first thing. And so if you give your children Shakespeare, be sure that you give them twice as much of the Bible. But then also, not just sound faith, a mother needs to be known also for a sure faith. And I'm talking here about a convicting faith, a faith that rules your life. Here in, uh, this is the month of May, in just a couple of weeks, it's going to be 10 years since my father passed away. Most of you have heard me speak about my father. Uh, My father is the one who gave me a sure foundation in the Word of God. He pastored churches for, for 40 years, and my father really left an indelible impression upon me. I mean, what I know from the Word of God, most of it I received from my father. And uh, as I think about him, uh, I think the very best compliment that anyone ever gives me, someone who knew my father, would say to me, you know, you preach exactly like your father. My father would often give his testimony, and of course, in his testimony, that he would naturally go to the time that he was saved. I mean, the time that he first heard God's Word. He was 25 years old the very first time that he heard the gospel. And on that first time that he heard it, God saved him. Well, he would often talk about my grandmother uh, as it related to his faith. My grandmother uh, was a Christian. She was saved at a very young age, uh, of course, years before my father was born. But as my dad grew older and and when he was born and, and was growing up in the home, one thing that my grandmother never did, she never told him about Jesus. She never opened up the Bible to him. She was never a mother that uh, just took the Bible down and read that to her kids. And my dad would always mention, of course, he loved his mother very much, and I love my grandmother. She was a good mother in so many respects. He said that she was a good moral woman. 
But one thing that she never did, she never lived a sure faith in front of her children. At the time that my dad was saved, there was a revival that swept this little community called Vine Creek, Kansas. Uh, My family had homesteaded that area of Kansas way back in the 1800s, and there are many Smith families that are still living in that area. Matter of fact, the uh, the original homestead place that my great-great-grandparents homesteaded is still there, and uh, my dad's cousins own that place. But there was a revival that came to this little place called Vine Creek, Kansas, and many of uh, our family members were saved. This was the time that my dad was saved, and during that very same revival... This was when my grandmother, who, who was a Christian, she got her heart right with the Lord. I mean, she, she understood and she realized, and I believe until the day that she died, she regretted the fact that she did not speak to her children about the Lord, that she didn't live a testimony in front of them. I believe it's possible, I believe it very well could have happened, that if this one godly woman, if he, she had just spoken the word of God to her children, that many years before it actually happened, those people, those children in that family might have been saved. If there had just been a person there who opened up the Scripture and was a testimony that gave a demonstration of faith. Now, do you see the importance of being a mom that's known for a reputation of faith? And there's so many parents that, that want to help out their children in many ways. They want to help with their education. They want to help them get a fine job. They worry about all these kinds of things but they don't put the right emphasis on the Bible in the home. Several years ago, there was a woman up in Shasta that really wanted to help her son. Her son uh, worked for the volunteer fire department. And uh, every year, we have the wildfires, of course, in California. And they would uh, um, uh, call her son out and give him extra work to help fight those wildfires. Well, she thought that her son really needed the work. And so what she would do, she would drive down the highway and she'd start fires along the highway. And then the forestry department would call out her son and he'd be able to to fight those fires. Well, the end result of that was she spent 20 years in prison and her husband got fired from the forestry service. Some mothers want to help their children in the wrong way. But I promise you that you could not do anything better. You simply cannot give your children too much help when it comes to giving them the Scriptures, when it just comes to talking to them about the Lord. Now, that brings me to a second point about a good mother, and that is the responsibilities of a good mother. Now, what about this whole idea that we're talking here about planting a seed of faith? Does it really work to plant a seed of faith? Well, Jesus talks about this in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. And and he spake many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. I don't have time today for an exposition of the parable of the sower, but there's one thing that I do want to tell you, that in this story, the seed represents the word of God. 
If you read a little bit further here, you find that Jesus begins the explanation in verse number 18, and he calls this the word of the kingdom. He says the word is the, the seed is the word of the kingdom. And what he means is that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of things that I could point out about the parable, but this thing I want you to know for sure, that a seed has to be sown before a seed is ever going to grow. And so as a parent, you need to be sowing those seeds. And those seeds that you plant right now in your children, that seed can fall into fertile ground. When that child is young and you begin to give them the gospel of Christ and you read those Bible stories, I believe that the seed can fall into fertile ground And then as the years go by, that seed can actually begin to grow. With the proper watering, with the proper teaching, that can actually blossom into salvation. But the responsibility is, you must sow the seed. Well, there are responsibilities for parents, many different responsibilities. But let me just give you a couple as it regards the faith of a child. What is it your responsibility to do? Well, I think that you need to educate children spiritually. Now, I've already touched on this some. There is no education that you would give any child that's more important than his spiritual education. Here in, here in our Christian school, we always tell our parents that, that we're going to give your children a good secular education. Uh, we believe that's a proper thing to do. I mean, education is powerful. You don't get along in this world without education, and so certainly a, a secular education is needed. And and any Christian parent who would say, well, my children don't need a secular education, you're fooling yourself because they actually do need that. But we also make it a point that we tell everyone that in every subject that we teach in our school, every subject is going to be taught in the light of God's Word. And so when we talk about English, when we speak about math, when we talk about social studies, the emphasis is always going to come from a godly viewpoint. But that's not all that we do. We also read from the Bible. We take the scriptures out. And children in our school learn memory verses. They learn something about the Bible. And that's because we believe our chief goal, the main thing that we must do, we must educate children spiritually. And that's because we want them to come to know the Lord. Well, why would we do that? Well, it's as simple as life itself. You may live to be 80 or 90 years old. Maybe some of you will live to be that old. But a hundred years, even if you lived a hundred years, you know, that's nothing at all in light of eternity. It doesn't even, it doesn't even, it doesn't even register in eternity. The, the Apostle James said, he said, Your life is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little while, and then it passes or it vanishes away. Everything that you gain in this life, all the material goods that you gather to yourself, all of that is going to pass away. It matters nothing at all in light of eternity. And so if you compare it, how can, how can this life, 80 or 90 years, whatever it is, how does that compare to eternity? It just doesn't compare at all. So we need to educate secularly. We need to do that because children certainly need it, but it is so small in compared to eternity. How could you afford to leave a, a child's education unbalanced? Now, a parent who says or acts of this, they don't care what, where their child, uh, anything about their spiritual development, they don't care about that at all. What they're actually saying is they don't actually believe in eternity. They don't believe eternity matters. If you did, you wouldn't slight it. 
You'd recognize how important that this is. So a godly mother and a godly father, they have a responsibility towards children because they recognize there is a heaven and there is a hell. And children are going to spend that, and, and their entire existence in one of those two places. So I don't think that any parent that ignores the spiritual development of a child could in any sense call themselves Christian. Well, Timothy's mother and his grandmother, they knew this. And so when Paul commented about Timothy, he didn't say, Now, Timothy, I'm so glad that you, disc- that you received your degree from the University of Derby. I'm glad that you have a degree from the University of Lystra. And I'm so happy that you have an MBA from Ephesus State University and that you continued your education and you got a degree in the philosophy of the city of Corinth. That's not what he said. He said that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So that's the goal. That is goal number one. And I would tell you this, mothers and fathers as well, that if you do not give your children the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are doing them a disservice. And I'm being kind by calling it a disservice because the difference is eternity. So I'm thankful that God did this. I mean, I'm thankful that God was gracious, that he sent a preacher to that little place called Vine Creek, Kansas. My father, who never heard the gospel when he was a child, did hear the gospel, and God saved him. And so looking at it, From our viewpoint, I could say that the reason that I'm standing here preaching a message to you this morning is because God was gracious enough, gracious enough that he allowed a mother one more opportunity to see her child saved. And I would tell you, don't miss that opportunity. Teach your children. Educate them spiritually. You need to be sure you take care of their their physical welfare But if your child has to grow up with holes in their shoes, and if they have to sleep on a pallet on the floor, far better than they spend 60 seconds in a devil's hell. But then also, it's your responsibility to demonstrate faith's reality. What is it that your faith actually does for you? When we were in Israel, I I was very impressed by something that would be really quite peculiar to most of us as Americans. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Uh, God gave a special command to Israel concerning children. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament. The name Deuteronomy actually means second law. And what what it is is actually a repetition of the laws that, that God gave Moses. And so what Moses is doing, just before the children of Israel go into the promised land, he's re educating them. On the law of God. And the reason he had to do this was because there was a whole new generation that grew up in the wilderness and they hadn't heard all of these things before. And so Moses rehearses the law before them. Look what he says in Deuteronomy 6, verse number 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of the house and on thy gates. Now, he says here, 
that you're to teach these words to your children. But then he goes further here because he says, not only that, you need to give a demonstration of what God's word means to you. Now look at verse number 8 again. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Most of you have, have heard of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. We call that the Wailing Wall. Jeff, would you give us a picture of that? This is a picture of the, of the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. This is the most sacred place to the Jews in the city of Jerusalem. And these people will come here and they'll pray at this wall because this wall on this side is actually a retaining wall that held up the Temple Mount. The temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, and this is the only thing that's left there. And so the Jews come to this particular wall, and they pray here because this is a very sacred place to them. But there's something else that they do that, that is really peculiar to us. Now, the Jews do this. I mean, they come to this place because uh, uh, this is where they, they pray. Uh, they don't have a temple any longer. And that's why the Jews don't sacrifice anymore. But they remember that temple that, that, that they had at one time, what God's Word says about it, and they're expecting that that temple's going to be rebuilt. And so they come here and they pray about things like that, and they stand before that wall. Well, the Jews still practice what, what Moses said in Deuter- Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, one thing that they do here at this wall, if you give me the next picture is that they, they pray there, and they take these little boxes. You see that on their head? And, and in that little box, they put in Scripture. And the Scripture is the very same Scripture that we've just read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And where the Bible says there that it's to be frontlets between your eyes, that they literally bind the law of God on their foreheads. And that helps them to remember that God's law is prominent. But that's not all that they do. Because what I really want to point out to you is what he says in verse number 9. In verse 9 it says, And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Also, every house in Israel has a little box on the door. Would you show me that one? This is a little box called a mezuzah. And that goes right on the door frame of the house. And in that, in that little box... Again, they write these very same scriptures that we're reading here from Deuteronomy chapter 6. All of the Jewish houses have this. Even in the hotel where, hotels where we stayed, there in every room, on every room, on the outside of the door frame, there would be that little box, and inside of that was the scripture. Well, the reason they did that was because every time that they go in and out of their houses, they are reminded that God's law rules this house. Now, what that is is a demonstration It shows their children something. They're saying to their kids, we really do believe in God's word. We really do believe that God's law is to be the rule of our house. Now, of course, the Jews don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They're very sincere about what they believe, but unfortunately, they're sincerely wrong. But I wonder, really, how many Christian parents are there that that know the truth, that you do know Jesus as your Savior, Is there a demonstration of what you believe in your home? I mean, do you really say that God's word rules our house? Now, if we didn't do it just for a ritual or for the sake of ritual, would it be so wrong for us to do the very same thing that they do? To put the scriptures in a prominent place in our house where when the children see that, they know that God's word is there and they know that mom and dad and our family, we worship God. 
Would that be so wrong for us to do that? I'm sure you know that little joke about, about the woman that invited the preacher over for dinner. You've heard this before, but after dinner, they're sitting in the living room and, and, and they're talking with the preacher. And, and the, the woman says to her daughter, she says, Honey, would you please go in the other room and bring that book that Mama always reads and loves so well? And her daughter goes in the other room and comes back with the Sears catalog. And that's exactly the way it is in many of our Christian homes today. If you ask your children, uh, would you, Honey, would you go get the Bible for us so we can read it? They wouldn't have an idea where to look. Bible? What are, you, what are you talking about? Where's the Bible? And if they did know where it was, they'd have to take a dust cloth with them. It hasn't been opened for weeks or months or years. And that's what happens in most Christian homes. Where is the demonstration of your faith? Where do you show your children that you really do believe the Word of God? You know, I think one of the most distressing things that we have in Christian families today is the attitude that Christian parents have towards church. Church is a place that we go if we're not too busy doing something else. If, if something else doesn't come up, if there's not a ball game to go to, or, or if there's not shopping to be done, or if the Boy Scouts aren't having their meeting, then, then we'll go to church because uh, we think that's a good thing for us to do. And so the children grow up thinking that if anything conflicts with church, that the thing you leave off, that's going to God's house. That's not really so important. You know, I thank God that I didn't grow up that way. Now, uh, there was never any question where we were going to be when, when church was, was, when there were services at church. My dad was the pastor, of course, and so he had to preach, so we had to go to church. But even after I left home, that was instilled in me. That is, when, when God's people meet, when my church meets, I go to church and I worship the Lord there. That's ingrained in me. And I promise you, if I was not the pastor of the church, I would still be in church on Sunday. Well, after your kids are grown, obviously you don't have any control over them. You can't make them go to church. But could it be that the reason that they don't go to church as they should is because they know how they were raised? They saw what you did as a parent and church really wasn't all that important to you? Did you know that in every generation of Americans that we go to church less and less? And that's because the generation before us went to church less. You're making a demonstration to your children, and it's the wrong demonstration. A mother and a father, really, you need to be the kind of person who demonstrates your faith. You need to be a parent who plants a seed of faith, who gives a demonstration. And Paul said, Timothy, I know this happened in your life. I know it because your mom and your grandmother, they taught you the word of God. The faith was first in them and he says, now, Timothy, I find it in you. And he could say that because it was real and demonstrated. But let me go on very quickly. I, I want to tell you that the reputation of a mother, that's certainly important. The responsibilities of motherhood, very, very important. But thirdly, let me just talk to you briefly as we close today about the relations of a good mother. Two observations that we want to make about a good mother and we don't actually find it in this text today. But to be a woman of faith, as Paul describes that Timothy's mother and grandmother were, there are a couple of things that you really need to do, ladies. Number one is you need to love your leader. A, a, a good woman, a good mother, loves her leader. Now, what am I talking about here? Maybe some of you won't like this, but a good mother is one who recognizes her role in the church. 
She recognizes her place in the family. She believes that her God-given role is the ultimate place. Motherhood, that is the ultimate place of happiness. Now, I preached on this recently, so I'm not going to go into it, uh, into it much now. But a good mother is also one who is a good wife. Now, of course, we have to make that applicable to the congregation here, those of you that fit in this, in this category because they're single mothers and mothers who have been divorced and so forth. But generally speaking, I want to say this to you, that a good mother is also a good wife. She is a mother who loves and cares for her husband. And so she always speaks well of her husband. She speaks well of the man who's the head of that household. A few years ago, I preached a message from Proverbs chapter 31. That's where the choir was, the song that they sang was inspired from Proverbs 31. And that's where Solomon speaks about a virtuous woman. Here's what he says. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. So a good woman, a good mother, is one who cherishes her husband. And, and, she, and she recognizes the challenges that go with being a wife and a mother. Now, someone has said that being a woman is a terribly difficult task because it consists principally in dealing with men. And uh, you may find that to be true. Someone wrote something about communicating with men, and they said that that's one of the hardest things that a woman can do is how to communicate with her husband. And this person said she must respond correctly. So they gave a whole list of things that a woman should not, should or should not say to her husband. Three of these things are these. Never ask your husband, how do I look? If you don't look all right, he'll not notice, or he'll notice rather. And if you look great, he won't notice. And so why waste your time or his? Number two, when your husband says, sometimes I think my mother is crazy, don't say, she certainly is. Because he'll say, I don't mean really crazy. And you'll say, but I do. And then the conversation goes downhill from there. Number three, never tell your husband that you're tired. He's tired. You just didn't plan your day right. So it might be difficult for you to deal with husbands, ladies. But a godly mother is one who recognizes her husband also has a God-given role in the family. And that's a place of leadership. And so it's, it's never one where, uh, where a husband is a dictator in the family. It's not unbridled authority. It is one of equality. But the good mother recognizes that, that her husband is the leader of her family. And then lastly, I want to tell you that a good mother loves her Lord. Now, here we come back full circle to where we started in the beginning, that love for the Lord is demonstrated by faith. What was it that Paul saw in Timothy? He says, unfeigned faith. And what that means is faith without hypocrisy. And where did he get the faith? He said, first, Paul said, first, it was in your grandmother, and then it was in your mother. Love for the Lord is demonstrated by full confidence in him. We very much understand that God, that the Lord, that Jesus Christ does all things well. And so we put complete trust and confidence in him. The most priceless thing that any person could ever have is their faith. You know, the world is always asking, what is a man if he doesn't have money? But the Lord is asking, what is a Christian if he doesn't have faith? In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 there's a whole list of people that are really the standouts that you find in the Bible. 
Men and women are both on this list that you find in Hebrews chapter 11. And you know the thing that made them all stand out? It was faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. It's all about faith. And so it's faith that influenced Timothy. Mom's faith, grandma's faith. That was remembered when Timothy got older. And so the fact that they gave him scripture, the fact that they read that to him, the fact that they told him what he needed to know, that was the seed that grew. And then when Timothy became older, he became a Christian. That's what made him the man that he was. And so now Paul writes to him and he says, You're dearly beloved. He calls him my dearly beloved son. Timothy was invaluable to Paul's ministry. In fact, Timothy was the one that Paul left there when he was in prison to be the, to be the pastor at the church at Ephesus. How did he come, become a man like that? How did he become a man of faith? And the scripture says right here that that faith was in your mother and in your grandmother. They planted the seed of faith in you. And that's why Timothy grew up to be the man that he was. So ladies, I want to tell you today, be a mother who plants a seed of faith in your children. Teach them God's word. Demonstrate your faith to them. Show them that you love their dad. Show them that you love your Lord. And I believe that God will take that seed of faith that you plant in that child and God can use that to bring them to personal faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it takes to be a good mother. You have to start sowing some seeds. Plant a seed of faith. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Again, we are so thankful for each mother who's with us today. And Lord, as we've just read from the Scripture, that there really does need to be a demonstration of faith in our homes and how much the American home would change if Christian parents would just take time to read the Scriptures, give it to their children, and be people of faith. Would you help us to do that today, Lord? Speak to some heart this morning. Just show them, show some mother, show some father that they need to be godly in the home. And we give you the praise for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.